Well, good morning and welcome to Northridge Church. We're excited to have you here this morning. Whether you're joining us from Webster, Greece, Henrietta, or Rhonda Coit, or you're hanging out with us online, we are absolutely honored to have you here this morning. If uh, you're with us online, thank you for logging in. We'd love to get to know you. Let us know where you're watching from. And if you're a guest with us, thank you. I know it's a bold move to, to come to a new church, and so we want to let you know we're excited to have you here this morning. And I want to start a little bit on of a personal note uh, this morning. You know, Last year, our church jumped into this initiative we called Beyond, where we really are pushing our church to step out the, outside of the walls of all of our auditoriums and invest in relationships, invest in relationships in our community um, through the foster care system, through adoption, through loving on the homeless, but then beyond that into our world by sponsoring kids through Compassion International and loving on a village in Mara Mara. And many of you know my wife and I, we've been on this adoption journey. It's, it's really been about five years where it's been this rocky roller coaster ride of emotion and, and ups and downs and switching countries. And it's, it's been really difficult. And so I, I got to the point where honestly, I was like, I don't know if this is ever going to take place. Uh, I'm not sure if, man, maybe God's telling us to stop or pause or I, I don't know what's going on. And a couple weeks ago, um, we traveled, our video team and myself, we traveled to Israel to shoot some footage um, in Israel for some series coming up. And while I was in Israel, I got an email from our social worker and she presented our family um, with a, a baby boy's profile. And through a lot of prayer and through talking to some doctors, um, today I have such exciting news that I get to introduce you to the next member of our family. His name is Malachi. You'll get to see a picture of him on the screen. Yeah. And so I just want to say thank you for your prayers. It's been a, a really difficult and long journey, but God is always faithful, amen? He's always faithful, and he knows the perfect time. And so we're excited. In summer, uh, we will be headed to China for two weeks, and you will get to see the newest member of Northridge Church and put your hands on him. So we are very excited to announce that to you. You know, as we start this morning, uh, I want to really start with a question. Have you ever started a project and that project, whether it was maybe in your house, you, were, you decided to, to knock down a wall or restore a bathroom or paint some walls, or maybe it was in your flower beds or it was on your car. You, you were, you were going to start a project, and when you finished that project, it really ended up pointing or highlighting to another project. I mean, you, you knocked down that wall and you stepped back and you looked and you realized it was amazing, it's awesome, but really the project wasn't co completely finished because... You had to knock down another wall. Or, you know, you planted those flowers in your garden, and, and it just highlighted the fact that the other side of your house was just that bad, and so you needed to plant more flowers. Or you, you washed and waxed your car, and you looked, and it was great until you opened the door, and you realized it's disgusting inside. And what's interesting is sometimes the projects we do lead to even bigger projects, and that's where we find Nehemiah. We left him off in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, Aaron last week. This is where we left the story. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu. In 52 days, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. And so Nehemiah has really finished He's accomplished what God has called him to. 
Now, if you don't remember, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series called Ruined, where we're looking at the life, the story of Nehemiah. And if you go back to to week one, we saw Israel had been exiled out out of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is actually serving in Babylon as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and and he hears that his city is in ruins. It's been burned and, and broken down, and God breaks his heart, and he sends him back. He puts his plan into action, and last week, he finished the walls, even though Toby, you remember Toby and Sandy trying to stop him, Aaron said, hey, sometimes we, we got to swing a hammer and carry a sword. And so we, he finishes the wall. And you would think at this point, I mean, this is a really beautiful verse to like end Nehemiah. I mean, you think at the end, the walls are built. It only took them 52 days. And you would think like, okay, this, this has got to be the end of the book of Nehemiah. You, you would think that Nehemiah would maybe grab a, a glass of sweet tea or some lemonade, put out a, a lawn chair and just sit back and be like, man, look what we did, God. But why are there still five chapters of this book? Nehemiah has finished the job God called him to do, but there's a problem. See, Nehemiah finished the walls, but he realizes that something else, something even bigger needs to be done. Because the whole reason why Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to build the walls was because it actually started in Ezra. Zerubbabel built the temple. That's where God's glory dwelt. In the Old Testament, that's where God's presence dwelt. And so Nehemiah came back to to, to really finish what Zerubbabel started. He builds the walls to protect God's glory. But the problem is is God's glory is actually protected, but the people of Israel don't know how to live out God's glory every single day. See, this is what Nehemiah realized. The walls were complete, but the people's hearts weren't. The walls had been finished. They'd been built. The problem is Israel had been exiled, and they forgot what it was like to live and follow after God's law in the book of the law, the Torah. And so they they didn't know what it meant to follow after God. Nehemiah finishes a project, but it led to an even bigger one. And I think it's one we can relate to. Because for a lot of us, our walls look really good. Our facade, the outside of our life, it looks really good. In fact, we spend a lot of time making sure that from the outside perspective, that our walls look really good. From the outside, people would look at us and be like, man... They've got it all together. They've got it all figured out. It's because we spend a lot of time on our walls. But if you ever get past our walls, you realize that there are parts of our lives that are rotting, parts of our lives that are broken and that need fixed. And that's what Nehemiah is recognizing with the nation of Israel. He finished the job, but God had an even greater job for him to restore the people of Israel. And so the question is, is Nehemiah is going to go about promoting change? And I think if we are all authentic in church, I think, including myself, all of us would would admit there's some areas in our life that we just need to experience change, that God needs to revive that area in my life that, that, that I need change. But the question is, I think for a lot of us, we want to change. We do. We want God to change our marriage. We want God to change our attitude. We want God to change our relationships, but we don't know how. We don't know how to go about change. In Nehemiah, in chapter 8, he's going to lay out how we truly experience life change. And what's interesting is Nehemiah starts with the most important place. He doesn't, as he begins this process of change, he's already built the walls, but then he goes to the most important place, our heart. 
Because I want you to understand, if you want to experience change in somewhere in your life today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life, you have to understand this. Change happens. Change defined is when your heart aligns with God's heart. That's when you begin to experience spiritual transformation. It's when your heart begins to shift back towards God's. It's when your heart aligns with God's. And that is the process that Nehemiah is going to go about doing with the nation of Israel. He's getting ready to show them, hey, we have to shift back. We have to come back and we have to align our hearts with God's. In fact, this is what Proverbs says, chapter 4, verse 23. Listen to this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now that's a powerful verse. I mean, listen to these words for a second. Above all else, above anything else, guard your heart, protect it, watch over it. Why? Because everything flows from it. The way you live, the way you act, the way you think It all starts from your heart. Isn't it interesting that when you surrender your life to Jesus, where does the Holy Spirit dwell? In your heart. Because everything flows from there. And so we have to recognize if we truly want to change that area in our life today, it starts with our hearts. And our hearts have to shift back towards God. And here's how Nehemiah does that. If you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Nehemiah chapter 8. You can turn there. It's going to be on page 389, you can jump in your app, the Northridge app, and you can follow along and keep notes. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And so here Nehemiah's plan starts, and it starts with a guy named Ezra. Ezra is, and remember, Ezra and Nehemiah are really written in one scroll. It's really one book. In our American Bible, it's broken up into two books. And Ezra is kind of the leader of this spiritual formation. And so he really tag teams with Nehemiah and they gather the people together, much like what we're doing at four locations. We're gathering together to open God's word and so it can teach us. And they gather and it says they take out the book of law of Moses. Now, in this culture, the book of law of Moses was what they used on a regular basis. It was called the Torah or the first five books of the Bible that were written by Moses. And verse two, it continues. It says, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women and others who could understand. All the people listened attently to the book of the law. And so they gather the people, and there's men, there's women, there's probably teenagers, middle schoolers. It says all who could understand. And they gather them together, and they pull out the the book of the law of Moses, and it says Ezra reads it from daybreak till noon. 6 a.m. to 12. Six hours they read the Bible. That's all they do. And I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be authentic and real in church. When I first read that, I was like, wow, that sounds pretty boring. I mean, no music, like no video, no like cool illustration, like, and I know y'all judging me. I know, like, how could you say that? But for six hours, they read God's word. I mean, you know, 
I know what you're all thinking, like, how could he say that? But what if I just announced, you know, at the end of the service day, hey, we have a special service coming up. Next Sunday, in fact. We're going to start at 6 a.m. And all we're going to do for six hours is I'm going to read the Bible. Some of you might show up. You might plan a vacation for that weekend. Your kid might get sick. But eventually, you know, when I start at 6 a.m. and then I go to 7 and, and I, I go to 8, some of you, you know, I, I got to pee, Drew, and somehow you never come back in the auditorium. But, you know, as I, as I felt that way, man, I, I, I really just felt this sense of conviction, too. Because who am I to ever say that reading God's Word is boring? And I know that in our culture, that's not what we do. But look what the people, how they responded. It said, all the people listened attently to the book of the law. It was something. For six hours, they stood there and they listened, and it wasn't enough for them. It says they were attentive. They couldn't get enough of it. And man, I want that type of, uh, that, that type of desire and that type of hunger for God's word in my life. And there's where Nehemiah starts. And that's where change really starts. Change begins when we desire and when we hunger for God's word. You see, nothing will change in your life unless you get this burning passion, this desire, this, this, this hunger for God's word. And I'm afraid today in the church, I'm, I'm afraid today in Christianity and with Christians today, we've lost this hunger for God's word. We've lost it. Yeah, I mean, we, 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 we read God's word because it's what every good Christian guy and girl does. I mean, we, we start our day in God's word and we, we end our day in God's word, but it's, it's, not some, it's, it's because it's something we have to do, not something we get to do. I mean, do we really hunger for God's word where we could read it for six hours straight and still not get enough? I mean, that's the type of hunger that, that, that Nehemiah is trying to build about in, in this, this nation of Israel. In fact, in Nehemiah 18, it says, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They didn't miss a day. Not because they had to, because they wanted to be in God's word. They desired it. They craved it. You know, it's interesting, uh, last week I had some friends from Georgia come and visit. One of my best friends, his name is Dax, and his wife, Brooke, is eight months pregnant. And I'm weird, you probably know this by now, but one thing that I find fascinating and so interesting is the cravings that pregnant women have while they're pregnant. I remember when my wife was pregnant with our two daughters, she had completely different cravings. It was wild, it would be like two in the morning, and my wife would send me to a restaurant for certain things that she craved. And so we, we were hanging out one week, and I came home from work, and I walked into our kitchen, and here Brooke is. She's leaning on our countertop, and she has this mason jar in, our hand, in her hand. And she's got a big old fork, and she is literally eating this homemade pickled relish with, like, onions and peppers, sweet bread and butter, like, chutney. And, like, it's designed to, you know, put on a hamburger or a hot dog. And she has this spoon and she's just chomping down on it. I'm like, you go girl, you go. Uh, no judgment here. And she could, kept on telling how she craved pickled things. Like she just desired them. And, and you know, it's a silly illustration, but man, shouldn't we be like that after God's word? 
I mean, really, like if we call ourselves Christians and we believe God, the Bible is God's revelation to us, it's his love letter to us, we should get to the place where we just can't get enough of it. And Nehemiah leads the people to this place where they hunger after God's word, but he doesn't stop there. Verse five, it says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so again, they gathered the people, much like we are today, and it says Ezra was, was up high so people could see him. I mean, it's very much like a Sunday morning for us. The speaker, the communicator is elevated. We use cameras so people can, can see the, the communicator. And so it says Ezra began, and, and what's interesting is he opens the book and the people stand. I love this because it, it translates cultures. Because in our culture, we don't stand when we read the word of God in, in, in a lot of churches. Some still do today, which is amazing. But in our culture, there's certain things that we stand for to honor. You go to a professional sport, sporting game, and I don't want to get into the, the whole issue of people kneeling and people standing, but majority of people, when, when the national anthem is played, we stand to honor the, the men and women who sacrificed their lives so we could have our freedom. And in our culture, we stand to honor things. And here in this culture, they open the word of God and they stand in honor of God's word. And it says, Ezra praised he praised God, and then here's what happens. It says the people raised their hands. Again, something that goes 2,000 years and still relates to our culture today because when we sing songs, some of us, we raise our hands, and we don't raise our hands because we want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't raise our hands because we think it's cool. We raise our hands in agreement. We raise our hands in surrender. We raise our hands saying, God, that's true about you. And then it says the people responded. They responded, they said, amen, amen, and they fell flat on their face to worship a holy God. And we're just saying about the holiness of God, and sometimes when you experience God's holiness, the only thing you can do is lay flat on your face in the presence of a holy God. And here's what they do, they respond. You see, change begins when you get a hunger for God's word, but that is not enough. It's not enough. Some of us have been reading God's word over and over again, and it's just like another book. It's like another novel that we read the pages of scripture, and it doesn't do anything in our life. But that second step is change begins when we hunger after God's word. But secondly, change accelerates when you respond to God's word. When you respond to it, when it changes the way you live, when it changes the way you think and the way you act, it transforms your life. Do you realize that's why God gave us his word? He didn't give us his word because he wanted us to just have a nice book to read at night. He didn't give us our word so we could wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to read this nice book. No, he gave us his word to show us, to reveal to us who he was so that it would transform our lives. So that tomorrow we would be different because we engaged in the presence of God through his holy word. And if you really want to change, it starts by being in God's word. But then secondly, your change starts to accelerate when you start living out what God's word says. And I think we have to understand something. What God ignites on a Sunday or for you teenagers on a Wednesday, you have to plow through on Monday. You see, here, here's where I think it all falls short. God ignites a lot of things on Sunday, but we have to plow through those on, on Monday and Tuesday. And I think this is where it all falls short for us. Is we come to church on a Sunday morning and we get excited. We have amazing worship. 
We have a, a message that convicts us. And, and so we make a commitment to God in the moment, in the emotion. We say, God, I want you to do something special in my life, in my marriage, in my attitudes, in whatever area it is in your life that needs something to be transformed. We make those commitments on Sunday. And we leave the, 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 the doors of our auditorium and we are pumped, we're excited. God's gonna change something about our life. But the problem is, Sunday ends and Monday comes. And on Monday, you're not surrounded by a band that's leading you in worship. You're not surrounded by a communicator that's gonna challenge you. On Monday, you go to work and it's that job that you can't stand. On Monday, you go to school and it's not cool to follow Jesus. In fact, you're outcasted to follow Jesus. On Monday, you have to deal with your marriage that you can't stand. You have to deal with your spouse that nags you all the time. And on Monday, that decision that you made on Sunday begins to fizzle out because we're not committed to plowing through what God did on Sunday. And it fades. The reason why I can tell you that is because it happens in my life on a regular basis. As we get excited on Sunday, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday roll around, and that decision we made just kind of seems to fizzle. And we got to be committed to plowing through that. And as a church, we've designed some things to help you plow. That's why we have community groups. That's why we push you to community groups, not because we want to fill numbers, but because we want you to experience genuine relationships that will help you apply what God does on Sunday and hold you accountable to the commitment you made to plow. That's why we have an equipped ministry where we send you resources to dig into God's word, to grow spiritually. That's why we have starting point. For those of you who are new to your faith, you can ask any question, any question that you have about God and we'll answer it for you to help you plow. Because change happens when our hearts align with God's hearts. And the only way that happens is when we dig into his word and we respond to it. But Nehemiah continues, chapter nine. It says this, on the 24th day of the month, of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And here you see this progression. When you hunger after God's word and you begin to respond to it, you begin to live it out, here's what the nation of Israel experienced. Is it revealed, God revealed to them things in their life that shouldn't be there. And so the nation of Israel, they fall down on their knees and they begin to confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Because the whole reason why our heart isn't in tune with God's heart isn't because God just doesn't want to have this alignment with us. It's because we choose disobedience. It's because we choose sin. And when we choose sin, it creates this chasm between us and God. I mean, here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 36. It says, but see, We are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruits and from the other good things it produces. Get this, because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. And all of chapter nine, all of chapter nine of Nehemiah is this journey that the nation of Israel goes on where they reminisce. They reminisce of the days of Abraham, the the days of Moses. And here's the conclusion they come to. God has always been faithful, but yet we have chosen disobedience. God is always faithful. God is always faithful. He's been faithful in our ancestry, and now he's been faithful to us today. But yet, for some reason, we choose 
disobedience. And it leads them to the place where they fall on their knees and they start confessing their sins. And this is the final place of change. Change starts when you hunger for God's word. It it accelerates when you respond to God's word. But then lastly, change is completed by removing the things that shouldn't be there. Change is made complete when you finally take that peace, that sin in your life, that disobedience in your life, and you say, God, I'm giving this up so my heart can fully align with you. Do you realize that's why the Bible is called the great mirror? Do you know that, that the Bible is actually referred to in Scripture as a mirror? Because there's one thing I know about a mirror, is a mirror never lied to me. When I look into the mirror, it shows me who I truly am, whether I like it or not. And that's the Bible. When you get into the Bible, it will reveal to you the things that are there that shouldn't be there. It will reveal to you the truth about your spirituality, the truth about your marriage, the truth about your attitude, the truth about how you live. You know, I know us guys, we, we hate this question. My wife does this to me all the time and I can't stand it. But my wife will look at, to me, at me when we're, maybe we're going on a date night or we're going out to eat or something like that and she'll look at me and she'll get all dolled up and she'll, she'll, she'll look at me and she'll say, hey Drew, uh, does my hair look good tonight? And yeah, it, it does. Or do I look fat in this dress? And what if she really does? What do I say? I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to answer those questions. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Like that, that significant other asks you those questions and you're like, just, just leave me alone. I don't want to answer that. And the truth is, is the Bible does that for us. It answers those questions that we might have. Why is my marriage failing? I bet you if you spend time in the Bible... God will reveal it to you. You might not like the answer because it's a mirror. It will show you who you truly are. And so here's what happens in Nehemiah. They confess their sin and they begin to experience real radical change. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, they they make this decision to make this binding agreement, this contractual agreement with God that they're no no longer going to neglect him that they're going to remain faithful to him. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, it says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And so they begin to experience change. And they make this covenant with God, and they get their Levites, their priests, their leaders, and all of chapter 10, if you want to read chapter 10 today, it's really exciting. It's a list of names of people who signed the agreement. Historical names of people who said, I'm in. I'm no longer going to neglect you, God. I'm in. And they experience change. The nation of Israel is starting to align their heart back with God's. So the question is, what does this story 2,000 years ago have to do with my life today? And I think we answer that question by really asking a question. What in your life today needs to change? What area of your life Do you need God to breathe life into again? Maybe today it's just your attitude. Where you constantly are having negative thoughts, you worry. It's in your mind. Maybe it's lust, where you just need God to renew your mind, to breathe life into your mind again. Maybe today it's your marriage where you've been on this slippery slope of decline. At one point, it was really good, but over the last couple years, it just feels like everything's falling apart and you don't know if it's gonna last. Maybe today it's your finances. 
where you've made poor choice after poor choice and you don't know if you're going to make it and you need God to breathe life into your finances, to revive your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe in your family you have a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a cousin or a business owner that you haven't spoken to in a long time. And you desire that relationship to be restored, but you don't know how to go about it. And you need God to intervene, to revive that relationship with your kid, with with the business person. What area of your life do you need to experience change? Maybe your walls look really good, but once we get past those and on the inside, there's something that's there that doesn't belong, something that's broken, needs fixed. And the only way that's going to happen is if God breathes life into it. What area is that for you? Because I, I think if we are all truly authentic, myself, everybody at every campus, I think we all can locate an area in our life that needs fixed. That we need God to refresh, renew. But I don't think we know how about going about how that happens. Like how, how, how does that happen? I think it does by us really getting serious about these questions. I'd ask you today, is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there a sin in your life that you've kept a secret for a long time? That you haven't told anybody, you haven't confessed to God, it's something that you're holding on to that needs to come out. Sin in your life that is not allowing your heart to align with God's. Do you truly, really hunger for God's word? Or is it a chore for you? A box you check? Is God's word something that you can't get enough? It's something you crave and hunger, something that you gotta read every morning. Not something you have to, but you just got to because it sets the course for your life. Or is it just another book? And really the question is, is if you want to experience change, has your heart aligned with God's? Has it aligned with his? Is it in tune with him? Or do you feel distant from him? Not hearing his voice. Do you really want to experience change in that area? Because here's the truth, and I know this from my life. As I say, God, will you help me? Will you change me? Will you, will you change my marriage, God? Will you change my finances? Will you change my attitude? Will you change my relationships, God? And I cry out to God, please change me. And I believe in heaven, God is like, I'm ready and I'm willing. But he asks all of us this question. Are you willing to pay the price to really change? Are you willing to pay the price of what it means to be a better spouse? Are you willing to pay the price to to experience forgiveness in that relationship? Are you willing to pay the price to truly see change happen in that area? Because I think God's ready. I know God's ready. And I know he's willing. But are you? At all of our locations, a band's going to sing a song. And my prayer for this song, this song is called You Revive Me. And my prayer is that this would be a start for you. 
Not that you would experience change on a Sunday, but it would be a start of the plowing process in that area of your life that needs change. That this song would be a prayer that ignites change in wherever you need it. That you would just declare to God, God, revive me. Speak life into me. And may a year from now or six months from now, may I walk in the change that you have before me. So at all of our locations, our band is gonna sing this song and I just challenge you to remain seated and to just take in the words of this song.